Welcome to the Anxious Filmmaker Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Broadhead. The goal of this show is to teach you exciting new ways to make more money while still having plenty of time and money left over to create all the amazing movies you've ever dreamed of making. We'll be interviewing wildly successful entrepreneurs and amazing movie-making filmmakers to figure out the best ways to make a lot of money and the best ways to use that money to create great films. Thanks for tuning in, and please check out at the Anxious Filmmaker on Instagram to see short videos of all the best moments from this and every episode. Now let's get the episode started. All right, awesome. So thank you for coming onto the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, um, you were not an easy get. <laughs> We only rescheduled like 12 times. So thanks for your patience. <laughs> I was I was finally like, I've had enough. We're putting something on the calendar. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was uh it was good. It had to happen. Yeah, awesome. So how uh how are you doing today? Uh you know, I'm good. I I, I actually had a call with my life coach on the way here because we have calls every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. Not usually recommended to do that while you're driving. Yeah. But I'm, uh, I'm feeling much more grounded than the yeah. frantic, <laughs> frantic energy I woke up with. Ah, nice. What, um, so you, you are obviously a life coach yourself, mm-hmm. um, and you have a life coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what kind of, if, if I may ask, sure. you don't have to answer anything personal here, but what what kind of stuff uh, do you work on with your life coach? Um, so it can be it can be a variety of things. I guess currently we had a big conversation uh, this morning around my well being and what that looks like, and actually how I'm incorporating spirituality into my life, mm-hmm. or how I connect with spirituality. And traditionally, I I just don't. Mm. Um, and uh, it was brought up because it's been a really busy week and I'm, I have a lot of big milestones this next week, mm. kind of practicing arriving as a leader in a lot of different ways. Um, so, you know, there's some, there's some apprehension, some fear, some nervousness. Nice. And I was like, I really just need to find two hours to get my nails done. <laughs> And and we ended, ironically, the simplest thing is often the greatest signal that I yeah. have well-being in my life. <laughs> Maybe um, next time we can combine those two things. Mm. I, can, uh, I can record your, your next interview whilst getting your nails done. Well, you know, you can get your nails done too. We could do it together. Oh my gosh. Get a pedicure. What, how exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never done that. So what, uh, tell me about this, this leadership, uh, milestones. You're, you're becoming a, a larger, better, and that seems impossible, but tell me about it. <laughs> you flatter me. Um, yeah, I, uh, I guess I'm, I'm just choosing to show up as a leader, um, in a lot of different areas in my life and I'm intentionally taking on really big challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to challenge myself. So I'm really, if something is uncomfortable for me, I'm in a period of my life where I'm like, well, it's uncomfortable, so you have to do it. (laughs) So I'm just choosing the most challenging things. And, you know, um, 
sometimes it looks like, uh, like Thursday I'll be flying to DC to speak at a, I guess that's tomorrow morning. I'll be flying to DC to speak at a video conference. It's too early to consider today. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, and, uh, and we have a a really big milestone with stage 18, my, my organization, we have a big board meeting tonight. Cool. Um, yeah. So a lot of, uh, just a lot of different things. And so I'm intentionally choosing to be uncomfortable mm. and practice leading anyway. Yeah. That, that's interesting. You say that I, I felt like, um, throughout my whole life, uh, whether it be, you know, going on a job interview, going up to a pretty girl in public, all of my friends, uh, acquaintances, colleagues, they'd be like, dude, how do you do that? And I was like, my life is so insanely uncomfortable all the time. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's almost like an addiction. Like when it, things get comfortable to a, a, to a maybe a normal person, I'm like, oh, I'm bored. Yeah. I gotta go. Gotta go well, screw well, some mine, shit up. Mine is, is just like, you know, sitting here talking to a baby. I'm like near having a panic attack. <laughs> So it's like, well, if I'm going to freak out regardless, I might as well do the <laughs> hardest, most fun, biggest upside thing. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So can you, can you share, uh, some, uh, some things that have made you uncomfortable, uh, in mm, the past that's a good question. while, maybe this podcast? Uh, no, this <laughs> podcast, I actually feel very comfortable, which yes. I'm grateful for, um, but perhaps the scheduling of the, of the podcast (laughs) was challenging for me. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I'll share, I'll share something from this morning. Uh, I am starting at the top of next year. I'm like highly limiting my work week in terms of hours Four hour work week, (laughs) two hour work week. No, (laughs) I said, I've, I'm going to strive for 50. Whoa. 50 hours. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. Um, you have to the- be efficient as fuck. Yeah. Um, so that makes me highly uncomfortable Yeah. because I have to say no to people and set boundaries, which I'm not mm-hmm. great at. Yeah. I prefer to just be like, yes, I will do it all for you. <laughs> well, you, you need that. You need that, uh, Built and uh, executed tomorrow, no problem. <laughs> no problem. I got it. <laughs> sleep? No. No need. Yeah. Yeah. Screw sleep. Uh, so how many hours do you think you're currently working? I mean, because 50, that's already more than 40. I know, but I don't know. It all blends together. I work on yeah. the weekends. I take meetings whenever. Mm-hmm. You know, as an entrepreneur, it kind of... Um, work has to work with your life and life has to work with your work. Cause there's not really always a clean delineation. So no, they, they really should be the same thing. I feel. Yeah. Cause you can't separate them. You can't separate them. No. And it's just a matter of, you know, for me, I guess the new thing is, is actually tr- logging my hours Oh yeah. And having an awareness about yeah. how obsessive I am about getting the work done. You're like, oh my gosh, like my goal was to write a screenplay and I spent I spent thirty hours this week doing laundry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I spent thirty hours this week doing laundry. <laughs> Mine would be like, Oh, you know, I really have to work on this report, but I spent thirty hours this week in 
meetings about future meetings. Mm, those are my favorite meetings. <laughs> They're the best. <laughs> They're just the best. Like we, I, I brought you all here today to talk about our future meeting schedule, which is, which is very large. <laughs> Very large. And, so many meetings. And non-specific. None of them will have anything to do with you. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a big reason that I I left my previous uh, job with sort of a corporate company, uh, NASA. Um, NASA. <laughs> Just throwing that in there casually. Yeah, NASA. I don't know. That's weird. Um, but they, oh my gosh, every day I had like multiple hour-long meetings and I'm like, I don't have that much work to begin with because this is government work. Mm -hmm. um, but this, I, this just kills me. I can't, you're, I'm already getting up at five 30 and then you, you're having me sit through these hour to two hour long meetings that literally have nothing to do with me. Like we're, I'm out of here. What do I have to do to get fired? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. See you at NASA. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Um, that, that's awesome. So what uh, what what's your plan for accomplishing this uh, fifty hour? Or what tell it tell me why why fifty hours? Because it seems impossible. Mm -hmm. Hold on, I might sneeze. Okay, hold for a sneeze. Okay, <laughs> just gonna sneak up randomly in the middle of a great sentence. Fine. Just um, accentuate a point with your sneeze. But, uh, I don't know why, but I, I feel like I I don't need a reason to know why. I'm like, hey, if ideally I'm, I want to work 50 hours and I want to sleep nine hours a night. Mm, love that. And I want to have an hour a day to myself and I want to have consistently well done nails. <laughs> then, um, then they, you know. Showing those to the camera. <laughs> they're beautiful. I picked this one off last night in a nervous frenzy. Um uh, then, then yeah, I'm going to have to, you know, my life can't just revolve around my work. Mm -hmm. So I was like, let's give it a shot for 50 hours. Mm. And consistently I, uh, I made a goal to get down to 50 hours and being much more efficient with my time of work, um, by the second weekend of February. Mm. How are you going to become way more efficient with your work? I don't know yet, but I'm uh, committed to figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read a book called The Effective Executive on a recommendation from uh, Mr. Tim Ferriss himself. Mm. And my biggest takeaway was uh, like keep track of where all your time is going for like a week or two or even a whole month and then uh, break it down. Uh, and compare and contrast it with like your goals. Mm -hmm. And what I found was I was spending an insane amount of time cooking food. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because um, food is like if meditation, if exercise, if walking the dog, if watching a movie doesn't relax me, the only thing that I can do to chill me out besides like taking half a clonopin is to cook and eat food and watch something either movie related or funny on YouTube. The only thing. Yep. And um and apparently I was just like like out of my mind stressed nearly all the time. <laughs> so I was doing that, you know, I'd I'd cook a, a lunch for like an hour and then I'd cook a dinner for like an hour, hour and a half, and then you gotta eat it. 
And if you cook anything remotely healthy, it takes fucking forever to eat like a salad. If you're trying to eat a salad in 30 minutes, it's, it's it, impossible. It's impossible. It's it's a lot of like, I, I feel like, especially if you get the the sprouts in your lettuce, I feel like it's, it's just hanging out of your mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, I feel, I feel like a cow. I'm just like, like re-chewing it for like hours. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so that, that was, that was really helpful. So, you know, that was a big push to the intermittent fasting. Mm, so um, that's where that kind of started for you. Uh, I mean, it, you know, I'll try anything if they say it'll improve my performance point zero 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 one percent It doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, as long as someone claims it helps. I saw your crazy. I saw some crazy eyes. Oh, <laughs> there yeah. come out. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're in there. They're they're not very very deep either. Um so yeah, the the intermittent fasting helped a lot because um just you know, not having to eat until noon. I can wake up, I can meditate, I can, you know, do a quick journal entry, take the dog out, plan out my day. And if I'm waking up at six or seven, it's only, you know seven or eight o'clock that I'm able to like hit the ground and start working mm-hmm. and get like a solid four hours of work done mm-hmm. of like the hardest stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I'd be like, Oh, I gotta make my smoothies. Takes like 30 minutes. Cause I put a thousand ingredients in <laughs> and they don't actually fit. Hey, no, sh- no shame on the smoothies. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, uh, that's awesome. I, I, uh, I wish you luck. Thank you. I'll yeah. keep you posted on how it goes. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, let, let's officially start the show. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to do, you know, uh, a more formal interview for you, but uh, would, would you mind just giving us, in your own words, uh, an introduction and a brief synopsis of you? Sure. Um, <clears throat> hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> My name is Angie Gaffney. I'm originally from Boulder, Colorado, uh, which I'm pretty proud of. So I'm a mountain mountain girl, hippie at heart. Uh, I am a film producer, entrepreneur, and life coach here in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I've been in Chicago for 10 years. I currently have a couple different companies, uh, Black Apple Media, which is my production company where my features run through. Um, I've been act that's been active since 2010 when I was a student at DePaul university, uh, almost 10 years, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and then I run a nonprofit organization on the lot of Cinespace film studios here in town called stage 18 Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, I, I, I wish I could, uh, say right now all of the exciting things we have coming up, um, but I can't. Ah. So well, I'm not sure when this comes out, but you'll, <laughs> you'll have to, you'll have to look it up and see if it's there. Cool. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll share it on the, on the, on the lowdown yeah. when it's, uh, when it's more public. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. So that's, uh, that is a lot of, um, Time-consuming titles, I would say. <laughs> yes, um, yes, probably. Uh, t- two two follow-up questions. What what order are those in importance, and how do they uh, interlock and affect or benefit each other? Sure. Um, I play with the order a lot. 
I never quite say it the same once. I don't know if it'll ever be the same. It mm-hmm. fluctuates depending on what's going on in my life. I think the from a skill set standpoint, the foundation uh, for me is the entrepreneurial aspect. Uh, that's what I love. I love creating businesses. I love seeing creative visions come to life. Mm-hmm. I love leading people and realizing those visions. Um, so to me, kind of the umbrella word here is entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, a film producer and a life coach are kind of subsets of that. Um, you know, I would say one of my biggest focus has become stage 18 Chicago. I'm really excited about what we have going on next year. We'll tag it in the show notes. We'll, we'll tag it in the show notes. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm super you know, that's while it's a nonprofit organization, that's still my biggest entrepreneurial endeavor mm-hmm. right now um, that's coming out. And then, you know, being a life coach is, uh, is a way to, I guess, uh, taking that back, you know, being a life coach is my commitment to continue to train myself and continue to make sure I'm being the best version of myself in all these different areas of, of my life. Mm. and to continue to train my leadership skills. Mm. Um, So as a life coach, I work with creatives and filmmakers and entrepreneurs here in town. And so to me, all of it kind of ties together. And if I were to say a a bigger mission statement for my work here and in Chicago, it's really to, to bolster and support the creative entrepreneurial community so that it can flourish. Yeah. And those are a few different ways I do that. Wow. And, and, you know, I can't think of anyone that does that better than you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And, and stage 18 is amazing. And, uh, we'll also link to your, uh, I I assume your life, uh, life coaching services are on angiegaffney.com. Yeah. So we'll, yeah, everything's up there. We will, uh, we will link there as well. Um, and, and something popped in my head to the best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. Mm-hmm. So the life coaching makes, you know, a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when, um, you know, you met Hayden you're like, he's a life coach. I'm totally going to do that. And I was like, I was like, that's awesome. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you already have, Three full time lives. How the hell are you going to fit that <laughs> yeah. in there? But, but I, I can I can see how that you know uh, a better understanding of yourself helps you to help other people to an even uh, deeper and further degree. Yeah, and um, I've been in a training program for a year, so I've basically been in school this whole year with a program called Accomplishment Coaching in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say the biggest takeaway for me is. Like I am such a more grounded, healthy, realized individual. Um, and it absolutely goes into all the different areas of my work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you don't become a life coach because you feel like your life is great and there's nothing to work on, you know, <laughs> like you don't be beca- perfect. I'm perfect. Right. You become a life coach because you're like, Hey, I feel like there's something missing mm-hmm. and I want to work on myself and learn about this work in the same way that it benefits others. Um, yeah. so that's been a really cool journey. 
Nice. Yeah. Um, if I may be so bold, yeah. What what have been your biggest insights about yourself through this yeah. life coaching program um, and experience? I guess, you know, one of the biggest ones is how much I have made decisions, even even successful decisions, based on how likely it is that other people will respond positively to it. Mm, guilty. <laughs> guilty. I assume many of us feel that way. <laughs> um, but there's a, like there's, there, there's been such a high level of performance required to match my ambition over the years um, that I've gotten very good at, at masking that performance to ensure that, I don't know, to ensure that everyone thinks I'm happy and fine and <laughs> got the world at my fingertips. <laughs> um, and uh, before oh. this program, I was like, wow, I'm happy and fine. But I kind of had like that crazy, crazy look in my eyes, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. like almost like yeah. I don't have Botox, but like almost it felt like a Botox smile. Yeah. Or, or someone, someone sees you from the front and it appears you're sitting on the couch and then they go to the side and you're sitting four feet in midair. Yeah. Like, you're just like, <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> so, um, so that's actually been, uh, like that's been one of the biggest, uh, to use a coaching term breakthroughs that mm. I've had this year is, uh, just like not, not feeling the need to perform for, mm the whole world all the time. That sounds amazing. It's a, uh, I think it will forever be a work in progress, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I, I just, uh, I, you know, I myself have been through years of, uh, you know, therapy ranging from normal to, you know, arguably insane. Um, and, and that's, that's always been the nicest part of it is just like, it seemed like the worst aspect of severe anxiety and, you know, some sort of emotional disorder was always having to be performing for everyone to the point of exhaustion and just like, just awfulness. It's hard to even describe. And then to get to a point where it's like, you know, I don't really always have to do that. I don't always have to make everyone feel, you know, like they just won the lottery. I can just kind of like be myself and it's like, oh, you know, Chris is tired or Chris is hungry or Chris is like not super into this conversation. That's fine. That's not like the end of everything. Totally. Um, so I, I, I want to just wish everyone that struggles with that um, uh, luck and to just keep pushing through it. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is... Um, <clears throat> You know, like I am not, I really tried to be responsible for everyone else's feelings for a long mm -hmm. time. Which, which is a, you know, totally doable and like there's no <laughs> issues. No issues. 100% reliable. Totally reliable. <laughs> it doesn't lead to codependency in no. relationships at no. all. Never. At all. No. No resentment. No resentment. No, it's 100%. It's foolproof. <laughs> We could probably riff on that for a minute. Um, <laughs> it didn't ruin 
four, five out of six of my relationships. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I feel like that says it all right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I would say now it's like, it takes a lot of work, but it's like, yeah, this is not my... Like, how you handle a certain situation is actually not my responsibility. No. Um, hundred thousand percent. Yeah, totally. There are, there are people that respond to things in nearly opposite ways of you or I or anyone. And that has nothing to do with, with you or I or anyone. That's just how they respond to stuff. Totally. Totally. <laughs> totally. And, and the better you understand that, the way more peaceful your life is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, uh, what, what else I got here? So, so how has the, how has the life coaching affected the other two, uh, descriptions of yourself, the entrepreneur and the, the film producer? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's really made me take a look at why I'm actually, why I actually call myself an entrepreneur and a film producer or like for lack, for lack of a better phrase, like why I actually even give a shit about those things. Um, and I really, I really do. I really do. Um, and I don't know that I fully have the answer to the question, but, Mm -hmm. um, when I first started being a an entrepreneur and a film producer. And even, a, even still a little bit with life coach, I was like, Ooh, that's a cool title. Yeah. Like that, that would, that like, that like is impressive, right? That means something. Um, and so I think actually the biggest thing that this being trained as a life coach has given me is the opportunity to really reexamine those other words, the entrepreneur and the film producer Mm -hmm. and kind of define what they actually mean for myself. Mm. Um, and right now, because things can always change, you know, the entrepreneur in me is super excited about stage 18 and the nonprofit world and the arts here in Chicago and the organization work. Um, And because it's an organization for film producers or, well, for filmmakers, then I am, I think it's important for me to also continue to produce films so that I can, you know, I can walk the walk. Mm. I can, I can be aware of the shortcomings or what needs to happen in the community to make independent films a little bit more accessible. Mm. And I can bring that knowledge into the organization and help to create something that the whole community can be a part of because I'm making movies. Mm. Right. Um, that being said, you know, indie filmmaking is an entrepreneurial endeavor in of itself. And, uh, oh, it's yeah. exhausting. So if I, I'm kind of like, if I make an indie film like once every two years, <laughs> I'm, it's, I am, I'm happy with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that, that keeps you, uh, it keeps you fresh. Keeps me fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, uh, so two, two part question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do the, the entrepreneur and in, in film production mean to you and how can we make the industry in Chicago 
stronger for film production or even both of those things. Yeah. Um, and I can say the second question again because those are both. <laughs> <laughs> those are both large questions, yeah. <laughs> Chris. <laughs> How much time do we have? Um, uh, the so I would say from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it's the best word I've found to describe how the fact that I like to create structures that impact creatives and tell stories. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those structures are a film. Sometimes those structures are being a life coach to support creatives. Sometimes those structures are uh, creating an organization. Um, and it seems, it seems to be a, a, a phrase that, you know, generally people get some, a lot of people roll their eyes at it, but generally people get, you know, you're out there, you're creating things, you're on your own schedule, you're your own boss. Um, so again, that's kind of the umbrella. And then being a film producer has actually really changed for me over the past few years. Um, to kind of speak to the second part of the question too, I think, I think the biggest thing that Chicago needs is savvy, creative producers that know how to uh, cultivate talent and give notes on scripts and how to hit a certain level of quality in their projects, as well as understand the business to get those projects off the ground in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and the the reason I say that is because there's so much creative talent here in Chicago. There's so many incredible stories, incredible people, such an incredible diverse range of individuals um, across across the every spectrum, you know, race, ability, gender identity, profession, um, background, culture. It, it's it's all here in Chicago and we need to, especially in today's day and age, ensure that a diversity of those stories are being heard in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but we, in order to do that, we need to have not only the creatives who have those stories, but we need to have the business savvy individuals who know how to make those stories for those creatives in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. I feel like filmmaking in Chicago is indie filmmaking has kind of always been a perpetual hobby rather than <laughs> a realistic business that you can sustain yourself in. Mm -hmm. And, um, we need to, to start to, to change that. And so for me, and I say all that because that's how I now view myself as a producer. Mm -hmm. When I first started producing, I was like, Oh, I'm going to manage production and do trucks and be effectively in line producer or production manager is the industry term. I'm going to book the catering. I'm going to manage the budget. I'm going to get all the logistical things in place so that this machine runs smoothly. Um, and I, and I identified that that was what a producer in my mind did because there is so much production in Chicago. Like you look around and you see shows filming and I work at the studio and there are shows filming and I'm surrounded by catering trucks. Right. And so because that's my world, like that's what I understood a producer to be was someone who managed production because we're not in New York and LA, any independent filmmaker here or someone in school is not getting as much exposure to the business side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so their view of what they believe a producer can do or should do is limited. 
So um, I think the biggest thing, I think the biggest thing for me moving forward is to really make sure that all of those creatives have a voice in Chicago and that we have quality producers who can help elevate those voices in the best way to ensure that they're told and to ensure that everyone is paid so that they can tell their stories again. Yeah. Because a perpetual hobby will drain you. Yeah. And you won't be able to keep doing it. Right. So I, I feel like that maybe answered both your questions. <laughs> I, I was so enthralled. I don't even remember my questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take it. <laughs> um, awesome. That, that was great. That was, that was super inspiring. Um, so, so how do, how does one, uh, cultivate and empower and grow more savvy quality business film producers so that not every filmmaker is just a hobbyist who eventually fizzles out and is mad and hopefully doesn't kick their dog. <laughs> yes. No dog, no dog, kicking, <laughs> no dog, kicking. no dog kicking. Um, I, uh, you know, that's what we're working on, uh, with stage 18 is kind of per figuring that out. I think part of it is re-engaging, um, successful folks on the coasts, in New York and LA with the local industry here mm -hmm. and providing whether it's programs or mentorship or platforms for those successful individuals to be seen by the creatives and the producers here in Chicago. Um, because there's a, there's, a, there's not a, a great mentorship pipeline in local Chicago for successful producers. Cause most people have left in order to become successful. Right. So, it's really about bridging that gap. And I would say giving, you know, business exposure to the creatives here, uh, as well as, um, for me, a lot of it is educating people that producers are actually a creative job. And so many people who are directors or writers avoid quote unquote producing because they think it's logistics specifically here in Chicago. And that that's part of it in the indie space, but not all of it and mm -hmm. not the most important part. Um, and then we, to that point, we also have a number of really incredible line producers and production managers here in the city because production is so accessible. We have a lot of producers who have thrived in that way and are really talented at that. And my assumption, although it's not proven, so if you're listening to this, please feel free to comment or whatever. But my assumption is that a lot of those producers who are making their living by managing logistics of a film would love to expand their knowledge and actually learn about the creative and business side of mm. the industry. Um, and, but there's not really that learning, that learning structure, um, in place quite yet. I think the other thing that we're really working on is all, there are a lot of disparate film organizations in Chicago mm -hmm. that are producing a lot of similar programming, or have similar initiatives. Part of my goal is to really help to bring all of those um, independent organizations uh, into one more cohesive unit. So they're talking to one another, um, they're developing programs that are complementing one another, they're serving different filmmakers and different constituencies. Mm -hmm. So there's less overlap overall in the community because the indie film community is still really strong. The indie film community is still pretty small here. Yeah. Um, and 
I, I think we need programs and initiatives and organizations and people that do less better. And I think the next wave, yeah. And I think the next wave of independent filmmaking is really about, um, quality. Yeah. I like to say that, and even myself, I'm, I'm very guilty of this all the time, but I'd like to say that in Chicago, people celebrate the fact that it was done at all. And in New York and LA, it's celebrated the fact that it was done well. And we need to be able to celebrate both of those at the same time here locally. Mm -hmm. That's, that's awesome. I don't even remember what your question was, but I I hope that that answered it. (laughs) You're, you're sharing awesome info that I, that I want to hear and share. Um, yeah, it seems like, uh, there, there are a lot of disparate elements in Chicago and if we all kind of shared resources, um, work together, then, you know, we could really maybe make more noise, a lot more noise. Totally. Much bigger impact. Totally. Um, Much bigger impact. And, you know, regardless of the perceived impact that we'd make in the greater, um, nation also like we would serve the filmmakers of Chicago better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we one off programs here and there about things. I don't think necessarily, well, they have their place in terms of building community and engaging new filmmakers. I don't know that they necessarily move the indus- the local indie film industry forward, mm-hmm. you know, and we need to be pushing forward. We need to be innovating in the film industry, not just reacting mm-hmm. to the growth. Yeah. That's happening here. So, um, you meant, you mentioned a lot of things that, um, I would love to dive deeper into, but I, I think, uh, the most pressing, mm-hmm. um, how does Chicago innovate and differentiate, differentiate itself in the film world? I think we have the opportunity and this is my entrepreneurial side speaking. Um, I think we have the opportunity to, recreate how film is done, how the business of film is done Mm -hmm. and the values behind the business of film because we're somewhat insulated from the business. Um, We also need the business, but I feel like Chicago is a right place to say like, Hey, we're going to take this part of how it goes in LA. We're going to take this part of how it goes in New York. We're going to take this part of how a film is packaged. Mm -hmm. This is what we're going to stand for. Um, and you know, that's a very broad aspirational statement. I realize I I don't have it figured out. I don't have a plan figured out quite yet. I'm working on it. Um, but I, I also think the biggest thing that, that we need right now is we need, um, individuals and all of the incredible creatives here in Chicago to say, Hey, I want to do this idea, but I only want to do this idea if I can do it justice, if I can do it really well and then think outside of themselves and say, who do I need to bring on in order to help me do this idea? And I, what I see of in a lot of in Chicago is because the industry is still new and we've been experiencing a boom in the past five years, like the act of having an idea is like really exciting. It's like, Oh my God, I have this idea. I wrote this script. Like I have to, I have to make it, I have to do it. I immediately have to make it. And like, you know, um, with all due respect, many of the, most of the scripts I read um, should not be made in their current state. Mm. I should not even be reading them. Mm-hmm. So 
just because you have an idea or you're excited about something doesn't necessarily mean that the only way to value that idea is to make it into a film or a TV show. And I think that's the thing because we're so content oriented as a society. People are like, Oh, I have a script. It only matters that I have this script if it becomes this video or this web series. And I want to change that dialogue. I'm going to say, no, you have a script. It's great. You have a script. Here are all the things you could do with a script or, Hey, you made an idea. That's an amazing idea. Just keep it in your inbox. Keep it to yourself for a while. Maybe there's a way that it's going to come out in the future. Um, and we're in an immediate doing culture these days. Mm -hmm. And so when we have a creative idea, we immediately want to do something with it. Just do it. Just do it. And there's (laughs) Nike. Um, (laughs) There's a, (laughs) there's a lot of value to that. Right. But I think, you know, my challenge to all the creatives, what we can do immediately is be really selective and intentional with the ideas that we want to put out into the world. Mm -hmm. Because if it's just, there's enough crap out there in the world that no one needs to add to that. Yeah. Right. What are, what are you actually saying? What, what story are you telling? Why is it going to make a difference? Be, be so good. They can't ignore you. Totally. Um, that, that I heard, I heard that that combined with, uh, like deep work, you know, a lot of the filmmakers today, um, you know, my, my new favorites like Ari Aster and, um, the guy that did the lighthouse, like those guys did years of research into some like random thing, you know, late 1800s lighthouse workers. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And, um, and like Swedish, uh, cults in the 1500s or I don't even know what, what dates it was. Yeah. And, and they were able to, to like shoehorn that into a story that's like relevant and compelling today. And it it was so, um, backed in like actual knowledge and they obviously spent, you know, years honing their craft and then years writing those scripts that they were, they were good. They were worth Mm -hmm. making. They were Mm -hmm. worth sending to someone like you to read. Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of people to send good scripts to, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, I think that's, you know, that's the challenge to creatives you know, and there are many leaders in the community who are working to, and other organizations who are working to bridge the gaps and build this infrastructure. It's certainly not just me. Um, and while our passion is building that infrastructure, you know, my challenge to the creatives is just to be super intentional about the work that you're doing and the work you want to put out there in the world rather than just putting it out there for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's a question. Um, from a friend. Oh. This is a question from a friend, okay. not from me. <laughs> Who's this friend? Well, his name, let's call him Chris B. No, that's obvious. <laughs> C. Broadhead. So, okay, so, so okay. what is that? My friend, uh, C. Broadhead. Yeah. Uh, how can you tell when your uh, craft and your specific script is worth showing to someone? It's a hard one. I don't think there's an external way to tell that. Yeah. I think you have to, that's a choice that you make. It's not like a metric, right? It's a choice that you make because you've done your due diligence. You've gotten feedback. You know where it's going. You've worked hard on it. Right. Yeah. I think when you feel stopped, when you feel like, Hey, I don't know how to make this any better 
or I don't know if this might be it. I don't know how to make this any better. That's when you solicit feedback, Mm -hmm. right? That's when you show it to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially with a script standpoint, like there are a lot of people that you can get feedback from before you send it to the executive or the producer or the actor that you're really looking to attract. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, it's important to go through all of those channels um, and really take, take six months. People have an idea and they just want to, as we said, make it now. Yeah. Take a year. Guilty. Yeah, me too. It's fine. Um, (laughs) uh, Take a year, you know, make sure it's right. Um, And then make sure that you're, when you share it with somebody, be super, going back to the concept of intention, be super intentional about what you want out of it. You want feedback? Are you looking for them to read it? Et cetera. Um, I think writing can be an inherently isolating process or developing an idea can be isolating. And that is easily how every idea is limited the most is by just doing it yourself. Mm. Yes, the the curse of having to do the work. <laughs> yeah, or uh, doing the work and not sharing it with anyone for their mm. opinion or their feedback. Yes. Right? That external validation. Yeah. Yes. So nice. External validation <laughs> or constructive criticism, yeah. whatever works. Or just tearing it to pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So uh, just a quick... Uh, quick aside, yeah. how how can you sort of get good feedback? Because I, I feel like I've had kind of mixed results when sharing scripts. I, perhaps I have a blind spot because I've shared it with, you know, people that were close to me that, you know, weren't filmmakers and they've had, you know, surprisingly negative things to say. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know what the F you're talking about. Like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to do it despite you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's hard, right? Because, uh, the, the feedback you get is not necessarily in your control. Um, I think if you're searching for good feedback, then you're doing yourself an injustice. I think you want to lean into the tough feedback. Mm -hmm. And when someone's like, I don't like the script and they're not a filmmaker, chances are that there's a really helpful note of feedback there they just don't know how to necessarily articulate it in a way that you can take it in, in the film industry. Um, so I always look for like the note behind the note behind the note. Mm. Like you say, I don't like this character. Like this character didn't resonate with me. Well, what, what, like how so? What bugged you about it? Yeah. And oftentimes, if you're willing to have a dialogue around the feedback, that's when it becomes most helpful and you get clarity on what the feedback is actually providing you. Mm. Um, so Le- many people... Lean in. Yeah. So many people just take the feedback and then they like read it for face value or they don't have time to have a conversation about it. Um, and they and, go in their shower and they cry. And right. They throw away the script right. and go get their accounting job back. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe, hopefully not that traumatic. <laughs> too quickly. Call a life coach before yes. you do that. One eight hundred life coach. One eight hundred life coach. But and and I also think right, like everyone has a different opinion or idea, and not not everyone's gonna like your script, and like that's okay. Yeah, 
That's actually good, right? It's good. If everyone it means, liked it, it would be McDonald's. Right. It means you're, hmm. Well, maybe not <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> it would be a blank white wall that people are indifferent about. There you go. Um, Which uh, is better than McDonald's, in my opinion. <laughs> true. True point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, you want to, you want people to react to it. You want people to have an opinion about it. That way, that no, that means you're saying something. Um, yeah. So I think I think the the more diversity range of feedback you can get on anything is the better. And know your audience. It, a kids movie, you know, like you're not going to ask a seventy year old. I mean, you might, but they, they they are not they're not who the who the project is being made for. Right. Um. And so many people don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so you also mentioned earlier that uh, um, we need to give better feedback, more quality notes on mm-hmm. scripts in Chicago and the film industry. Mm-hmm. How does one do that? Practice. Practice? <laughs> um You know, some of that too is like read scripts. Yeah. Like read scripts that aren't your own. Mm -hmm. Read a lot of scripts, watch a lot of movies. Um, And, you know, I know you'll love this, but podcasts are a great way to listen to other. Sorry, please continue. (laughs) He got really excited. (laughs) Uh, Podcasts are a great way to listen to other people um, talk about their notes or their process or their feedback. Um, and also, you know, a very practical resource is there are plenty of, um, services out there. I mean, do your research that provide coverage for scripts for a fee. Mm. So you could send your script in and get it for a few hundred bucks. You usually get it professionally covered and have someone who does script feedback for a living, give you notes on it from a, from a more commercial Hollywood standpoint. Um, and you know, it's practice. I also think it's about, um, part of it is about how you deliver the feedback and to whom you're delivering the feedback. Mm -hmm. If it's your best friend and you can be super blunt, great. Right. Um, if it's someone new, you know, uh, feedback is, it's important for you to be super, super clear with the note you're giving and be able to reference it back to something. A note like, hi, I don't feel like I like this character. To my point earlier, it doesn't really help. Mm. Right. Um, I, I've heard the coverage advice in the past, and I've not done it. Um, I sort of just inherently bristle at that idea. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm such a weirdo and, you know, an innovator and a creative and a forge my own path that to give my script, which I think is, is weird and different in ways that, you know, maybe other scripts aren't, I feel like I'm going to get feedback like, Oh, why is this, you know, why, why is the inciting incident not on the 17th page? And you know, where, where's the clear three act structure? And, and, and I want to be like, well, it's not there because that's what every movie does. And I'm trying to do something that's at least noticeable Mm-hmm. You know, I hopefully good, but at least you're looking through stuff on Netflix. You're like, oh, that's interesting. That stands out. Yeah. 
And I mean, that's totally fair. You might well get that feedback, right? Yeah. But I think like, I think that kind of speaks to the, the bubble of Chicago is like, um, and not to put you on the spot, but putting you on the spot. Do it. Um, I'm going to lean into this. Lean in, lean in, theme in the conversation. Uh, but that, um, you know, a lot of folks are, are scared or unwilling for a lot of reasons to get that more commercialized feedback. Mm-hmm. And just cause you get the feedback doesn't mean you have to take it. Yeah. You know, you could say, you could say, fuck you or whatever, <laughs> but it, but at least from a business standpoint, you're starting to understand good or bad, or if you like it or not, how your work might be perceived elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And by no means do you have to follow that, you know, specific structure. You can create whatever you want, mm. but it's important to intentionally create it because you want to rather than create it because you're avoiding the, um, the feedback of a more traditional structure. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of lost my mojo there at the end of that <laughs> sentence. I know how that works. Yeah. I don't know how many times can I say structure <laughs> in the same sentence. <laughs> you, you you made it you made it over the finish line. You okay. just kind of like collapsed. <laughs> I collapsed. <Plus> on the finish line. Done. Nice. Um, awesome. Um, so you also mentioned um, the we we need a better sort of infrastructure to train creative producers mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Chicago. Mm-hmm. What does that look like, and how do we get that? I think that's a that's a that has to be a community wide approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not just one or two or, or a few organizations taking up and saying, "Hey, we have like a producers fellowship, or we have a producers lab." or we're incubating projects or whatever it is. It also starts in the schools, Mm. you know, it starts in, um, we have a lot of great institutions. I teach at Harold Ramis. I teach at DePaul. I've taught at Columbia. Um, and you know, I, I haven't been at DePaul in a while. Um, but they have such incredible access to production with their stage at Cinespace. that part of me worries that production is actually getting the majority of the focus of the students. Mm. And that's like the exciting thing, right? That's why people come to DePaul and Harold Ramis is incredible because it has the backing of second city. So you have a lot of comedy writers going there and that, um, year long program is specialized for that, but I'm, and you know, Columbia has a, a, a producer's program that they've had for a long time. Uh, all of these schools have elements of producers program, but I, I, I question whether it's advanced or rigorous enough to uh, give students a full view of what the possibilities are of being a really true creative producer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it starts with the schools. And again, I have not done a deep dive into any of their curriculums as of late. So perhaps it's there and I've missed it. Um, But looking at the who's coming out of the schools, that's my initial assessment. Um, and then the, uh, and there's Northwestern too. I mean, there's so many schools in the immediate area that aren't too far away. Notre Dame, Roosevelt, Mm -hmm. Loyola, whatever. Um, and then, you know, I think it's, 
I think I think the biggest thing is these these organizations who are trying who are working really hard to provide structure to uh, the independent film community and who are doing a great job, especially with the boom in the past five years. It's about it's about saying like how can we how can we serve a creative in a way that benefits their career even if they leave Chicago. Mm. Not just how can we serve a creative you're in Chicago in the best way. Um, and I think that's a question we all need to ask and be able to work to answer because for so long we've been focused locally on our own resources because we have a lot of Chicago pride, which is important. And I am a huge advocate for keeping that. Um, but just because it works here doesn't mean it works everywhere. And I think we can challenge each other more. We're very nice in the Midwest. We're very accommodating. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just want to kick people. And that, that's dramatic. We're <laughs> kicking dogs. We're kicking people. That's not true. I don't want to kick people. Um, but sometimes I, I really want to push people harder and be like, no, you can do better. Work better. Mm -hmm. And um, I, don't, I think that that's also a sensibility that we don't share. Mm. That's not as prevalent in the Midwest. Yeah. What, what do you think keeps these people from working harder, working better? Well, can, I want to clarify that. I, I don't, I don't think people don't work hard. I think okay. everyone works really hard and mm -hmm. I think better is subjective. So I think there's a lot of incredible more con effectively? content more effectively. And I, I would say, um, you know, like, like intentionally, um, intentionally challenge yourself. Um, you know, what is the thing I can do that feels out of reach? Maybe for someone that means making a short film, maybe that means going out and doing it. And we have a lot of that. Maybe for someone that means making a feature, you know, I know for me working more effectively or, or creating the next step in my career is, doing all of these labels, but also, um, you know, like I, I want to make a feature over $2 million. Yeah. Cause I've spent most of my career Samesies. here in, in the same seats, right? <laughs> I've spent most of my career in the seven, the under million dollar space. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just, I guess identifying what that next step is and then really pushing hard to take it. And being super intentional about it. Mm -hmm. Back to the same question. But yeah, I don't I don't want to make it sound like I'm ragging on Chicago creatives because I think they're actually the best. Uh, and I include myself in that, but they're the best that this country has to offer. There's so much here. Yeah. Um, and But I do think there's an element of like, I want to challenge to us to make sure those stories are captured in the right way with the mm -hmm. highest quality. Yeah, I mean... You know, in uh, just sort of thinking through this next qu next question that I want to ask you, mm -hmm. it, it seems like because the majority of our stories in film form, television form, come out of New York, L.A. in one way or another, that they kind of all, you know, start blending in with each other and looking very similar. And it seems like one one effective way to... Um, start telling stories from different perspectives is to empower and grow uh, film industries in other cities totally. and areas. Totally. Um, 
So is that a big component of um, why you chose Chicago, why you stay in Chicago, why you are so motivated and excited about um, growing the industry here? I mean, yeah, I think because there is an opportunity here because there's so much diversity of talent and voices and incredible mm -hmm. storytelling, you know, it's like, how can, how can we get this out in this, into the world in the best way? Um, as an entrepreneur, I prefer to be a, a bigger fish in a small pond, mm -hmm. so to speak. I think uh, Chicago is really ripe for entrepreneurial initiatives, especially in the arts and in filmmaking right now. Um, when I chose to come here, I was kind of like, oh, DePaul seems nice. They have a little campus. I got some scholarship money. I'm going to do communication. Like it wasn't, it, <laughs> it wasn't a, a really, uh, I didn't like pinpoint it and say Chicago's where I'm going to make, <laughs> make my dreams come you're, true. You were putting up two birds, one to New York, one to LA. You're like, Chicago it is. <laughs> Chicago it is. I didn't even know I wanted to be in film when I came to school. Wow. Um, so Chicago for me also is just, it's a city I've fallen in love with. I've fallen in love with the people. City. It's a great city. Uh, and you know, I, all the work I do is because I, I ultimately want to make an impact in the lives of creatives and the way in which they live them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I feel like my work here in Chicago isn't done yet. And I have to continue to serve the greater creative community uh, for a minute before I'll be satisfied with what I've done. And maybe I won't be ever. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. That, uh, that concept of satisfaction almost scares me because I'm like, yeah. wait, if I'm satisfied and not working towards something, what the hell am I doing? Totally. Totally. <laughs> um, but uh, that, that uh, sort of sparked uh, my next question. Why is it important to impact creatives and help empower them to their next level of effectiveness and output? Why is that important to you? I mean, specifically in filmmaking, I think visual storytelling is the way we all consume information mm -hmm. as a society. Certainly the easiest. Certainly the easiest. Um, or one of the biggest ways we consume information as a society. I'm basically illiterate. <laughs> basically. Um, high functioning, though. High functioning illiteracy is prevalent these days. <laughs> um, and, and I think that requires a certain amount of creativity. And in, in that way, I feel like creatives have the greatest chance to impact the world with the stories they're telling and the way they show up. And, you know, ultimately, like, why can't a creative make as much as like a doctor or a lawyer? I'm sick of this analogy where it's like, oh, you're going to go to film school. Oh, my God. <laughs> film school. Right. Film degree and two bucks will get you a cup of coffee. Right. I, I, I don't. I, I'm sick of that. Uh, and, yeah. and there's a large part of me that's still living it in, in different areas of my life, you know. But I, I don't think that being creative, I think inherently as a society sometimes it's viewed outside of being a celebrity or a superstar that being creative is, is a hobby or it's something that can't pay well. And I think that's pipe dream. It's a pipe dream. And I think that's a very old fashioned way of thinking, 
right? And so I I actually think creatives are the superheroes that this world needs right now, mm-hmm. you know, more so than lawyers or politicians or whatever else it is. Um, yeah. I think, I think creatives is, creatives is how we change the world. Creatives is how we make it more inclusive. Creative creatives is how we tell all of these stories that impact different people and connect people across state lines and countries Mm. and oceans. Um, and so I, I like, I genuinely believe like it's the, it's like the most important thing for society. Mm -hmm is to really be able to have an artistic and creative and filmmaking community that flourishes and conversely to have an artistic and creative and filmmaking community that, um, that can afford to flourish. That's not struggling to make ends meet. That's not, um, that's not sacrificing their own well-being for yeah. creativity because yeah. if you're a creative, right, your your biggest asset is your and I I believe we're all creative, but if you choose to pursue a specifically creative career, your biggest asset is your brain, your head. Yes. Right? Like right. if you're a pottery maker, maybe your biggest asset is your hands. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but you get the analogy, right? I'm and, picturing ghost. But right? go on. So the idea that that like if you're a pottery maker and you lose your right arm, right, you're going to have a really hard time continuing in the way you were doing it before. Right. Um, if you're a physical trainer and you are um, at an unhealthy w- weight level for what you're trying to do, then you're going to have a really hard time training. If you're a creative and you're unhealthily mentally and you don't have like s- stability, you're going to have a really hard time being creative. Mm. And we don't think of like our, we don't think of as creatives. I think the culture is changing, but traditionally we don't think of our brain as like a muscle that serves our creativity and our, and our head and what we're thinking and dreaming about. Um, and it requires attention. It requires like you have to cultivate it and nourish it in the same way that if you're a nutritionist, you're going to nourish your body. Yeah. And so I I really think that the the intersection of pursuing a creative career and having a strong foundation of well-being and financial stability um is the future for how creatives can thrive. Mm. And that's what I want to ensure Chicago has for specifically yeah. for filmmakers, but for all artists. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm reminded of, uh, the John Lennon song. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I don't even know the name. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the title. I don't know. I, I could sing it, but I won't. Um, imagine all the people. Imagine there's no countries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so what that, that sounds amazing. And, and, you know, part of my journey, super, res- or my whole journey resonates with that. Yeah. The The reason I, I quit my corporate job was that there, there was no creative outlet and I felt yeah. just terrible and like life was meaningless. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm, I'd rather live in the street then. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally. just going to risk it. But, um, you know, so, so my goal was to find something that I didn't hate that could pay my bills and also somehow 
used at least a parallel muscle to writing scripts, directing movies, acting, producing, editing, distributing, marketing. And, you know, I started a marketing company and that, that was close enough and it paid my bills. And, you know, in theory, I was like, all right, you know, half my time will go to this business and half I'll go to film. And that never worked. You know, mm-hmm. 99% of my time went to making the money because that's hard to do. <laughs> that's, is that Sandy? No, that's the upstairs dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that's the upstairs dogs. Yeah. They also protect us from the mailman. Oh, well. Um, so, you know, I've, I've had my own company since 2012. We're going on to 2020 in February will be eight years. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and just sort of keeping my head above water, making money, um, outsourcing some of the work and uh, making enough money to where I can do what I want to do all the things that I used to do in the corporate world took at least, you know, three years to do. And now, and now I'm just kind of uh, growing the business and trying to outsource as much of it as possible so that I can focus on my film stuff, which was the goal eight years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm still, still, you know, not in the place that I want to be. I'm still working towards that. So my, my super long winded explanation uh, aside, my question is what, what exactly does that look like? where a creative is much more, feels much more comfortable or confident in their ability to um, pursue their creative outputs and eventually be able to support themselves and have it no longer be deemed a a destructive hobby. I think what that looks like is, uh, I don't think it's about being comfortable Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about feeling like you have a choice. Yeah. I think it's about saying, Hey, I can work at Starbucks and write my script, or I can build my marketing company and write my script. And while it may take eight years, cause it's not, it's never going to happen overnight. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a long journey and stuff is really hard sometimes. Um, I feel like I have a choice. And I think, um, the, the easiest way to stifle a creative is when you take choice out of the equation and you're like, Hey, you have to work this high paying job in order to make ends meet. And there's no, there's no time for creativity Mm. and feeling like you don't have a choice because you have to live a certain way. If you choose to work that high paying job to make ends meet and you want to write on the side, that's great. There's no one way it looks like it, but it's about providing the resources and the infrastructure and, you know, examples of success that empower people to choose how they want to, how they want to live their creative careers. Mm -hmm. And that goes, you know, that goes a lot deeper in a lot of different areas, right? Because as we're seeing uh, in the industry, more diversity, more inclusion, um, we're really working to change the the landscape of of the voices that are behind and in front of the camera. Um, you know, recognizing that different economic uh, situations or even parts of Chicago or different backgrounds are things that inhibit people from ha- having that choice in the first place. And so part of this work is also 
is also like there's a there's a there's a there's an economic reform aspect to it. There's a social reform aspect to it. Like how are organizations providing these structures and helping people be able to access the power to choose, but also how are, um, how are we reaching people that, that currently for whatever reason don't have that power to choose? How are we in bringing them in? How are we giving them more resources? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a multi, it's a, it's a multi-pronged, um, approach, but that's, that's what I think it is. I don't think it looks like something specific. I think it looks like having the resources in place. So there's, um, um, a myriad of ways it could go. Mm-hmm. And, um, you as an, as a creative individual feel strong enough and empowered enough and stable enough to be able to choose which path you want to take. That's awesome. Um, so I know that, uh, that you got, uh, uh, quickly approaching, um, end moment. And there were a couple of things that I super wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, so you mentioned earlier, uh, your goal of, uh, producing a, a $2 million plus feature. Mm-hmm. Um, you've already produced, several, um, sub $1 million productions. What is the biggest difference in terms of budgeting between those two? Where, what is that extra million to, you know, a million point nine get you? Well, I think it's always relative, right? Like mm-hmm. for me, that's just the next step in how I want to grow as a, as a producer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be doing ultra low budget features my own whole life and doing craft services by myself <laughs> as a producer doing a million things, you know? Um, so I, in service of my own desire to produce really high quality work, I also want to be able to afford the people and the resources and the technical gear and the development time and the cast that comes with bringing all of that together. Mm. Um, and I hope that when I've produced enough two plus million dollar features or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, the next thing is a $15 million feature, you know? I, and, and I, so I think the number is kind of irrelevant just as much as like, it's the next step for me. Um, and you know, it gets you a lot of, I mean, financially it's a lot more money to play with. Um, a lot of producers, if you're listening on the coast, you're probably like, that's nothing. It's nothing. (laughs) It's no money. And it's fair. It's not a lot of money, but it's, 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 you know, the next step up for me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, great. And that's the, that's the next step. Um, can, so, so I've, the only film I've produced is the current one that I've been making for a year with a literal $0 budget. Good for you. It stars me. It was written by me. It was directed by me. All my friends are the actors. All locations are in and around this apartment. <laughs> I already, Great. I already own uh, a bunch of equipment because I buy equipment uh, obsessively. <laughs> um, like, you know, just sort of a, a ballpark figure. Like what... Where does the money go? What, what's the what's the eighty twenty of film budgeting? What what's the twenty percent of the film that takes eighty percent of the budget, and why? Yeah, um, 
I mean, just looking back at some of my, uh, the indie shows I've done recently, um, you know, you're likely looking at, I would say 30% of above the line, um, which is cast producers, director, anybody with a creative stake in it, sometimes more, sometimes less, uh, depending on what you're striving for. Uh, you definitely want to carve out, um, yeah. So, you know, in addition to the above the line and, uh, all my post friends listening would say you probably want at least 20% for post-production, if not, if not a little more. Um, and you know, you're looking probably at another 10 to 20%, depending on how your deals are structured for film festivals, legal costs, Mark, you know, ideally you have a higher marketing budget than that, but sometimes on indies, that's, it's not the realistic way of the world. Um, and then the remainder, you know, you're looking at, um, probably on the, on the high end, about 50 to 60% for production. And then on the lower end, um, more realistic, you're probably looking at around 40%, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. So you raise all this money and you think, Oh my God, like I'm going to put this all towards production. And maybe that's the case. If you're, you know, doing it with your friends around your apartment, that's awesome. Um, but for me, at least in my world right now, where we're working on upping the quality and bringing higher profile talent and taking your own time in development and ensuring the post processes of the high quality, the breakdown is starting to lean away from physical production and move more in other areas. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, so that, that, raises uh, an extra exciting question. How, how does one raise, you know, enough to, or, or what, what's been your experience raising money? What, what's the most effective way to do that? Lie, cheat, steal, beg? <laughs> Lie, cheat, steal. Beg, maybe. Yeah, maybe beg is the right word. Um, you know, I think, I think first of all, it's about being super clear why you're raising money. Is it a donation or investment? Indie mm -hmm. filmmakers like to throw around the term investment when it's not actually an investment because you don't actually have it's a, a tax write-off. It's a tax write-off when you don't actually have a cast or any numerical numbers associated with it to make it such. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I did one of my largest raises to date last, uh, last year. Um, and, you know, it, I raised over a million dollars in, in basically eight months in partnership with some other people to make two separate films. Wow. Um, and, oh, it was, it was stressful. So hard. <laughs> I don't know that there's, I don't know that I'm right answer to this question. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's all about relationships. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all about relationships. And maybe you didn't raise as much money as you want on this one, but but now you know that you can raise that a little bit more on the next one. And mm -hmm. it takes time, you know, like you're the longer you're in the industry, the more high, higher profile and the more money and the more contacts you have. Mm -hmm. So this industry is always about how long you can afford to stay in it rather than what the immediate mm -hmm. payoff is. Wow. That's profound. So it just takes time. 
And yeah. every time you raise money, I mean, maybe you raise 5,000. My first, the first film I directed in film school, it was like 3,000 on Kickstarter or something. Wow. Right. And, um, that's more than my feature. <laughs> but, but if you put your time and your energy and all that, all the equipment and stuff into it, it's way more than that. Oh right? yeah. No, it's um, snacks alone. Totally snacks alone. <laughs> uh, so it, it, I hope in another five years I'll be like, Oh, you know, I can raise 2 million. It's not a big deal. I have the contacts mm -hmm. for that, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. Yeah. So it's, I just have to, it, there's a level of patience that comes with, with it, but it's all about managing relationships over mm -hmm. a long period of time. That, that makes total sense. So what, um, was it a hundred people gave you, Ten thousand dollars was it? The majority of the money came from two separate uh, individuals. One is a group called uh, Chicago Media Angels. Um, mm -hmm. Ted Riley. Yes. They give them a shout out. They're great. Um, they fund independent content here in Chicago. Uh, good friends. Um, and the other was from an individual uh, equity investor um, who supported one of the projects and really enjoyed it. Um, and then there were some smaller donations or investments mm -hmm. checking my word choice there as well. <laughs> um, Freudian slip, maybe, um, a smaller, smaller investments for one of the projects. So, but I've done it where it's, you know, a thousand, a hundred dollar donations or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and fortunately those add up. they do add up. They do. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I want to respect your time. I know you got a, a call approaching quickly. Um, Thanks. I'll take it here in the studio. <laughs> on air. <laughs> on air. No, no, we can't do that. <laughs> we'll have all the listeners sign in. Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, you obviously have shared a ton of uh, valuable information and I feel like I could have I feel like we could do this all day. Yeah, I could. I'll have to every, come back. I would love to come back. I would love to have you back. Every every question I ask you is like the head of a hydra when you answer it. Um, because, and I don't mean to call you some uh, ancient uh, creature. Um, yeah, go for it. I don't care. <laughs> but your your answers are so full of of like great information. Um, that I think of three other questions that I can ask you about your last answer and then three other questions about that answer. So it's like each, each question I ask, there's three more questions. So I feel like you'll, uh, you'll have to come back. And at some point, uh, you know, why don't you have your own podcast? I know we've been talking about this for so long, Chris. <laughs> and it's so funny because every time I think of doing a podcast, I'm like, oh my God. I enjoy this. Like, I really enjoy this. And then, you know, life gets in the way and I'm like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't have time for that, but I, um, we will do, oh, this is bold. We're going to, you and me, <laughs> we're going to do, I'm going to hire you. We're going to do a podcast in the new year. I have some cool. ideas and I'm declaring it here. So all the listeners can hold me accountable. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're going to advertise it publicly. Yes, we will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, so much for uh, having me for coming on the show and know, for the tea. I yes. appreciate it. Yes. That tea, that ain't cheap. <laughs> 20, 20 cents a packet there. 
God, it's gone up so much. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> inflation, am I right? <laughs> am I right? Oh, yeah. Whole other podcast right there, <laughs> just about tea and inflation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but where, where can people find out more about you, your coaching services, film, stage 18? Yeah, um, you can find out more about all the things that I do at angiegaffney.com. Uh, my contact information is on there. My links to my social media are on there. Um, and, uh, stage 18, which has some exciting announcements, which may or may not be live by the time this comes out. We'll see. Uh, you can learn more about it and keep it tabs with it at stage one, eight Chicago.org. That's stage one, eight Chicago.org. Awesome. And we will link to both of those in the shout notes. Thank um, you. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Andy. you for having me. To see the complete show notes, specific links to everything mentioned, and videos of the 10 best moments from the episode, please go to anxiousfilmmaker.com. Now let's go make some great money and then some even greater movies. Yeah.